Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 42. stock storyteller today if you didn't know you're tuned into stock stories the stock stories podcast what is this podcast all about this is if you're new here the podcast dedicated to helping you the individual investor make better investing decisions by looking at case studies of real companies some of the largest most profitable companies in the world And we also look at mental models. These are those thought experiments that help us philosophically think about investing and about life. We've been making our way through the beverage industry lately. We talked about Coca-Cola two episodes ago and most recently PepsiCo and kind of saw that dynamic there. We're going to keep going, but we're going to pivot back to a kind of a sub-industry that we've talked about in the past, but also within the beverage space. Remember, we talked about Brown Foreman several episodes ago, and so we're going to look at one of their competitors within the space, and that is Constellation Brands. Constellation Brands is a company that you may not have heard of just by the name, but they have many products that are pretty popular, alcoholic beverages, at least in the United States, and they, um, they're actually one of the biggest alcohol producers in the world, and we'll get into the specifics, but let's get to the beginning of Constellation Brands. Remember, this is a company that's sells alcohol and they actually don't just do one type like brown foreman they pretty much do whiskey i mean they have tequila and a few other things but they're a whiskey company constellation brands sells not only beer not only wine but also spirits so constellation brands in 1945 there's a 21 year old man and his name was marvin sands and he set out to start a business he purchased a company called Tanandegua Industries. And what this company did is they sold bulk wine in barrels and they sold it to bottlers over on the East Coast. And so what Marvin Sands would do is take this wine, sell it to the bottlers. They would bottle it, of course, and then sell those bottles of wine. And he was basically the wholesaler selling to retailers. And He had some success doing this, but he knew that he wanted to expand beyond selling other people's wine. He wanted to make his own. So he started making his own branded wines. And by the early 50s, in 1951 specifically, the sales of Canandiga, sorry, I'm butchering that name, um, Canandiga, yeah, (laughs) I don't even know how to say it, Canandiga. 
Sandaigua, C-A-N-A-N-D-A-I-G-U-A Industries, they hit a sales target of a million dollars that year. And they were able to evenly split those sales between the bulk wine that they started selling when Sands took over with branded wine. And one of the reasons that this was successful was um, a hit brand name. And Marvin Sands came up with the Wild Irish Rose brand. This was the first major successful branded wine of the company. And it wasn't just the brand itself, because as we know, brands are powerful drivers for selling things, but it was the way that he did it. Similar to the way that Pepsi and Coca-Cola have franchise agreements with bottlers, and that's how part of their story of how they grew quickly, uh, Sands was able to do something similar. He contracted with five independent bottlers and basically provided them with the product, they bottled it, and then they sold it. And this is an interesting business model that we see being repeated over and over again in the beverage space. And I think it's useful to take note of because when you're franchising, you don't need to buy the expensive bottling equipment. You don't have to have your engineers come up with these complex systems. You just say, hey, I'm going to hire you to do this. And you can basically take a cut of this for bottling the finished product. And so it's an asset light business model, which tends to improve margins. So Wild Irish Rose was successful. And then the company was renamed to, here's that name again, Canandaigua. Yeah, see, there we go. I'm getting it. Canandaigua Wine Company. And it went public in 1973. Now, over time, they acquired wine producers in California And by 1984, they had best-selling champagne and they had the best-selling wine cooler brands in the U.S. So this is a company that over several, the past several decades have been very successful with wine products. But the story continues to get better. By 1990, they had acquired and were selling over 100 different brands. So in 1993, they acquired a company called Barton Inc., And that was huge for the company. It effectively doubled its size and not only doubled its size in terms of volume and sales, but they diversified into different products. So instead of just selling wine now, they were also selling beer and spirits, specifically imported beer. And so the innovations continued into the 90s. In 1998, they invented the wine with fruit category. So this had this is more commonplace now, but in the 90s and prior, you didn't have the wine with fruit type of beverage. So the actual first product that was ever introduced in this category was Arbor Mist. And when Arbor Mist was introduced, they sold a million cases in the first 100 days. And by that fall of the year they introduced it, they already had 1.2% of the entire wine market from this one line of products, which is pretty incredible. Uh, so, so this company has had some previous successes of introducing new brands that catch on, that people like. Now, the name changed over time. So in 2000, they became Constellation Brands. Um, and from there, they just kept expanding. So internationally, they started uh, getting more play. In 2003, they had a joint venture in Australia, 
which they later acquired, and they added New Zealand wine to the business. And at this point, the company had grown so much and become so successful that they actually became the world's largest producer and marketer of wine. I mean, that's a pretty big market, especially when you consider that I know in the United States, wine drinking has become even more popular, especially relative to other types of alcohol. Um, so the number of people drinking wine, I think I heard, I, I can't verify the statistic because I just heard it somewhere, but I heard that the United States wine consumption has actually surpassed France at this point, uh, which historically is, is pretty amazing um, because of the, the rich history of wine in that country. So another big acquisition in 2004, Robert Mondavi was acquired. Now, if you don't know who Robert Mondavi is, uh, he created this massive wine company over on the West Coast. So Robert Mondavi is was one of the cornerstone people that really created what Napa Valley is today. Um, so a lot of Napa Valley's current success and fame comes from his innovations and his wine selling with his company. And so this operation was brought into the fold of Constellation Brands not that long ago, a little over a decade ago. And um, another key partnership happened in 2006 where a joint venture with Grupo Modelo from Mexico uh, was, was signed in order to import Corona Modelo Especial and other types of products like that. So basically imported beer from Mexico. And now this joint venture started in 06. Well, it's 2018 and that that is still going on. Constellation Brands is still selling Modelo, still selling Corona. So that was pretty successful. Uh, now, they did sell some of their businesses, the Australian and, U- and Australian and United Kingdom businesses. They sold off in 2011. Um And that was a move from management because they wanted to shift more toward premium brands. And this is a theme we'll get into once we get into more of the overview. There's kind of a shift toward premiumization, another word that's a mouthful there. So in 2013, Grupo Modelo's U.S. beer business was actually acquired. So instead of simply partnering and basically paying for the rights to sell these products in the United States, um on a contract basis, Constellation Brands said, hey, we want to just basically buy this right in perpetuity because our products are are selling and expanding within America. So this deal was signed in 2013. And as a result, Constellation Brands has vastly expanded their facilities and beer making capabilities. So they have a brewery in Mexico and a glass making factory in order to support demand. In the coming years. And the company has made a shift recently. Uh, last year, in 2017, they shifted ent- entirely out of the alcohol business completely by purchasing a stake in a marijuana company. So, medical marijuana, this is becoming a big trend now. And we see some companies uh, butting up, so to speak. Sorry, that was terrible. I couldn't resist. Uh, across the globe, specifically in countries like Canada, where 
medical marijuana has been legalized. So Canopy Growth is one such company, and Constellation Brands now has a minority stake within this company. They expanded that stake in 2018, so that's this year, for $4 billion US as far as their total investment in the company, which is pretty sizable. So um, there's a big bet here on medical marijuana, which we'll talk about. Now, to provide some perspective, Constellation Brands' market capitalization is around $33 billion or so. So that represents about 12% of their entire market value that they were willing to put into this company. All right, so that brings us to today. What does Constellation Brands do now? Well, a lot of the products and uh, brands that they have had over the years still exist today. They are the company that sells the most alcohol in the United States. They're actually number one if you were to combine all alcohol sales. They sold over $600 million of alcohol in 2018. Um, And if you want to compare that to some other companies or brands, Fifth Generation had less than $200 million at the number two spot. Mark Anthony had less about $100 million at the number three spot. So Constellation Brands is the number one multi-category supplier in the United States. And they're number three in beer overall, but they're number one in imported beer and in high-end beer. And we'll see how that plays into the strategy in a moment. They're still the number one premium wine company in the world. They have over 20,000 vineyard acres uh, to produce wine. But wine is becoming a somewhat less important portion of their sales and earnings, although that is still the bedrock of the company. At its core, Constellation Brands is a company that consists of brand builders of alcoholic beverages. That's basically what they do. They either invent a brand or they buy it and they scale it up. That's the pattern that I'm seeing here. So they have Corona, Modelo, they have Svedka, Vodka, which has grown a lot over the past several years. They've got Ballast Point, the, the craft brewery, and many premium wine brands. So they sell all across, all across the alcohol spectrum. Their primary markets are the United States. They've got Canada, Mexico, New Zealand, and Italy. So as far as geography is concerned, they're not in every country like a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi is, but they are in a lot of key markets and they have been growing rapidly. So these are the key trends that they're seeing. One is that high-end beer is growing faster than beer overall in general. So think about your craft brews that you see in the grocery store or buy at the bar. They're more expensive than Bud Light, right? Or Coors Light or Miller Light. Well, these are like the high-end beers. So that's been a growing trend. Um, Premium wine and spirits are also growing faster than value wine and spirits. So again, this premiumization, people are willing to pay more money for different products than the traditional mass market products. And we see a lot of these big beverage players, whether alcoholic or not alcoholic, they're buying up some of the larger of these smaller companies 
that have seen rapid growth. So for example, the Ballast Point acquisition. Ballast Point was a high-end brewery, started like a lot of other high-end breweries that happened to catch Constellation Brand's attention, and so they ended up buying it. Um, Heineken ended up buying Lagunitas, another example. Um, And so this is a trend that will probably continue um, because the beer industry, I mean, the beer industry was shaken at its core a lot in the past several years because all these craft breweries started popping up. It became almost, it's become almost like a national pastime for a lot of people to say, oh yeah, let's start a brewery, start a craft brewery. And so a lot of these companies have been popping up, brewing beer for a local community or region. And then if they grow big enough, then one of the big guys that has a lot of cash comes in and says, hey, I want to buy you, bring you into the fold and scale your products that people have, um, that people have been proven to buy over time. So I think this trend will continue. Um, it'll be interesting to see if any of these smaller craft breweries refuses to sell and somehow topples over or becomes as big as one of the big guys like Molson Coors or Anheuser-Busch or Constellation Brands. But in the meantime, Constellation Brands has been buying these breweries. So they've got Ballast Point, like I mentioned, and they've also recently bought the Funky Buddha Brewery, which is from Florida. All right. So where does Constellation Brands sales come from? They mainly sell beer now, actually. So 61% of the sales come from beer. Still pretty heavy in the wine, though. 34% of sales come from wine and only 5% in spirits. So mainly focus on beer, also focus on wine. And then spirits is kind of just there in the background as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they sell Svedka vodka, which is great. But as far as the top line and the bottom line, it doesn't contribute as much, which is fine. Um, it seems like Constellation Brands is diversified, but they shift their focus where they see strong returns. So they've shifted mainly from a wine company to a beer company. The voting power of the company is still controlled by the Sands family, which is interesting, similar to the Brown Foreman family, which is a very old family business. The Sands family controls the Constellation Brands Company to this day. I think it's in the third or fourth generation. I only mentioned that to say that I think it's kind of interesting when businesses stay in the family. I think there can, something can be said about the culture being maintained to a certain degree when you've got a family involved that uh, has con- maintained control over generations and uh, I think there there could be some correlation between aligned incentives and investment returns, um, but I'll have to do more research on that. I don't. That's just a speculation. So as far as the financials go, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? So they're the world's biggest wine company. They're one of the world's biggest beer companies. How are they doing? In 2011, they sold four billion dollars of products. In 2018, they sold $8.3 billion of products. So this equates to an 11% annual growth trend in the sales. How does that translate to the profit? Well, the profit has been even better. So about $550 million was sold in 2011. In 2018, they sold $2.3 billion. 
well, they didn't sell that. Sorry, that was the profit. $2.3 billion in profit. Now, that's a significant improvement over 2017 because of tax reform. So it looks like 22% annual income growth. It's really uh, it's really lower, but still very robust. Definitely double digits. As far as the balance sheet goes, $2 billion in assets in 2011 turned to $3.4 billion in assets in 2018. Uh, that was current assets. The total assets went from $7.1 billion to $20.5 billion. So the company has almost tripled in size as far as the assets between 2011 and this year. Their debt situation has grown as well. They've tripled their debt. So in 2011, they had $3.1 billion in debt. And in 2018, they now have $9.4 billion in debt. So not too concerning. The ratios have been maintained. The business has simply scaled up its operations. And as far as the operating cash, this is where I really start to like this business business a lot. So 2011, they had $600 million in operating cash flow. In 2018, they booked $1.9 billion in operating cash flow. That's 17% year-over-year growth in the cash flow of the business. That's pretty good, pretty robust, right? And to make sure this wasn't a fluke, I started breaking down the numbers for each of the past 10 years uh, for the operating cash flow. So I found that in the past 10 years, the operating cash flow has only declined year-over-year two of the past 10 which is a pretty good track record. Now, granted, uh, it has been generally good economic times, but I think that in recessions, uh, Constellation Brands is going to do just fine because people drink when they're celebrating, people drink when they're, uh, they're in not so great shape either. So when the economy goes down, moods are generally down as well. Uh, Beer and wine tend to be recession-proof industries. In fact, I think one of the most recession-proof industries. So I'm not too worried there as far as a stability standpoint, but it is really nice to see that operating cash grow at a pretty healthy clip. As far as how this is translated into EPS growth, uh, it's been really good. So between 2011 and 2017, the earnings per share has grown at 19% annually. Now, again, this is with a very favorable year this past year with tax reform. Notice how some businesses are benefiting really greatly from tax reform uh, as far as one-time tax benefits, while others are suffering greatly in their earnings. So we have to adjust for all these things, right? Constellation Brands had very favorable numbers in 2018, but that does not discount completely the fact that they have steadily been growing their earnings Um, So it's not quite that 19% annual growth in EPS that it may look like on the surface, um, but it's actually still been pretty good. All right, so what are the expectations in the future? Management says that they think that they can grow profits by 10% annually over the next several years. So they say medium term in in their documents, but... Who knows what that means? I, I take that to mean five to 10 years. To me, that's medium term. Um, they're focused on expanding their beer capacity and on reducing their debt. So they acquired a good chunk of canopy growth. 
So they want to pay a lot of that off. And we actually can see from the cash flow statement in the financing section that they borrowed $7 billion in 2018, but they paid off $7 billion. So they paid off $7.9 billion specifically, borrowed $7.1. So management seems to be relatively prudent as far as managing their liabilities, trying to make sure that that debt doesn't just sit there accruing interest expense um, because there happened to be one big acquisition one year. So that's good to see. So the priorities uh, seem to be seem to be good. The canopy growth, I mean, that's, I don't really know what to think about that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm going to start looking more into the marijuana industry, just kind of trying to understand it because there's a lot of hype around it right now. And I'm trying to sort through uh, how this will translate. You know, whenever there's a new industry that becomes hot, everyone wants to jump in. But the thing is, no one really knows who the big players are really going to be until they start to emerge as clear winners over time. Uh, so I think the stake in canopy growth here is kind of like a lottery ticket. Like it's nice to have, but I don't see it as a core reason to purchase or not purchase this investment in Constellation Brands just because, um, I mean, who really knows, right? <laughs> like sure, regulation is a lot more lax in Canada regarding this right now, but in the United States, uh, I think it'll get there, but it's going to take some time uh, given the political climate that we're in in the United States at this moment. So that's why I kind of see this stake as kind of a lottery ticket. If it doesn't work out, well, that's $4 billion of shareholder money lost, right? And that's, that is hurtful, right? But if things are successful, there could be immense rewards, the marijuana industry in the United States alone right now is about $50 billion. And that includes both legal and illicit activities. So that's an estimate. So if, if somehow they can capture the market in the United States as it does start to become legalized and expand into Canada where they already are into the different provinces, then there could be a lot of money made here. But I think it remains to be seen based on a lot of factors that I just don't completely understand right now. So I can't really factor that into my analysis in uh, any substantial way. But it is nice to have, right? Because who knows if it becomes really big, then Constellation Brands will benefit significantly. So as far as the sales growth, we talked about about 10% annual earnings growth is what management expects. Well, working backwards, what do the sales need to be in order to drive that? Management at Constellation Brands expects mid to high single digit sales growth. And uh, I think this is pretty reasonable based on history, uh, the numbers that Constellation Brands has been putting up year after year over the past several years has proven to be quite solid top line growth. And so I think this is reasonable. The company is also now paying out dividends. They started paying out dividends as recently as 2016. So that dividend was $1.24, and now it is $2.08. So that's a 29% annual growth rate in the dividend. They've really started to prioritize paying back cash to shareholders. And because this is a newer dividend-paying company, 
um, you're probably going to see high growth in the dividend from here on out for the next several years. They said that they're targeting about 30% of their earnings as far as how much they want to pay out, um, which is pretty healthy. The share count has been reduced from 189 million to 168 million over the past seven years. So about a 1.6% annual reduction in share count. Again, this is typical of your average S&P 500 company, you know, just buying back a percent or two here and there every year. Nothing crazy, but still helpful. So what is the price right now? So Constellation Brands has a multi-class share structure, but the most liquid and basically the common stock for Constellation Brands, uh, ticker symbol STZ, is the class A shares. And they're trading at about $192 a share right now. I think they went down a few percentage points because the market's been going down recently. Um, and then the earnings per share is about $11.55. Again, there's that tax benefit. So that's a 16.9 or 17 PE ratio. Uh, so yeah, around 16 PE. But once you take away the effects of the, of the tax benefits, it's probably closer to 19 or 20 which is probably what you would expect to be uh, in line for a large established beverage company because the quality of earnings is pretty high. So the dividend is about 1.5% right now if you were to look at the yield. So let's put this together. We got a 1.5% dividend yield. We've got about, let's call it 1.5% gain from share buybacks. And then the earnings management says 10%. So let's consider a range of between 7 and 10% earnings growth, which I think is very doable based on history and I think where the company is headed. And then as far as valuation, compression, or expansion goes, I think the valuation is more likely to compress just because the business is getting older and it doesn't seem to be undervalued at this moment necessarily. It seems more or less to be fairly valued to me. So I think you might take off 1% to 3% for price-to-earnings ratio compression. So if you add those together, we get between 7 and 12% annual returns. Um, I think this is doable. I think it's pretty doable based on history. Constellation Brands has actually returned something like 19% annually for the past decade or so. Uh, if, I, if I recall correctly, they've been doing really well as far as their performance, not just business-wise, but also share price wise and dividend wise for investors. And uh, so past data isn't necessarily a predictor of future success, but it can be correlated. And I think it's something to look at. So I think Constellation Brands is in a good position right now. They've got their focus on high end beer, which seems to be going well for them. But they've also got that wine business that has been holding pretty steady. Um, I looked deeper at the segment numbers and the wine segment has been pretty stagnant the past couple of years, but the beer segment has been growing. And, uh, and of course you got that marijuana steak too. So we'll see where that goes. Oh, another thing I wanted to mention, I duck into the financials a little bit of canopy growth of this medical marijuana company. First time I've ever looked at a medical marijuana company's numbers before. And, uh, yeah, it's basically, kind of eating money right now. It's just burning money. It's not making any profits. (laughs) But uh, I guess in a way that's to be expected because uh, it's 
pretty new company and relatively speaking and the uh the ability to sell a product is artificially restrained right now uh, the supply and demand relationship is hasn't reached equal equilibrium necessarily i think so um, there's something to be said there uh but yeah, like I said, lottery ticket is how I'm viewing it. But yeah, I think that Constellation Brands is a pretty good company. I like what I see there. They've got recession-proof products. They've got good distribution. They've got brands that people buy over and over again in good times and bad. And yeah, alcohol companies, I mean, they, they historically do pretty well in the stock market if you look at the data. So now there's one study that I read where it was focused on the stock market in the United Kingdom. It was looking at what are the best and worst performing industries or sectors of the market. Well, the worst performing sectors of the market in the UK over, I think it was over a hundred years of data between 80 and hundred years. And the worst performing industry was materials and shipbuilders. And you can imagine those are industries that are basically commoditized and require massive capital being put back into the business in order to reap any sort of profit. But what were the highest? The highest were the tobacco companies, similar to the United States, the best performing um, company in the S&P 500 in the, in the last 50 years or so was Philip Morris, which is now Altria, which we covered several episodes ago. So tobacco companies in the UK, but also alcohol companies. Alcohol companies significantly outperformed almost everything. And so I think that's maybe subconsciously why I've been studying a lot of these beverage and alcohol companies and tobacco companies is because sector-wise, historically, they just killed it. I mean, they've beaten the index, the index uh, indices um, very soundly, so... Uh, just based on the economics that we've been describing. And hopefully, if you listen to Coca-Cola episode, you've listened to Altria, you listen to Philip Morris, you can see these patterns emerging of, you know, addictive products, cheaply made, sold at high prices, so you get high margins, recurring revenue, you know, all these things work together. And so those are some of the trends that I'm seeing from the data, and I'm hoping that you're seeing that too, so... Enough ranting and raving about sectors and outperformance, but that's what I got for you today on Constellation Brands. I think it's a great company, and I'm going to keep my eye on it. Until next time, uh, this is Alex. I'm your stock storyteller. Thanks for tuning in, and if you want to hit me up, I'm on Instagram, Stock Stories, the number one, and it's also my Twitter handle, and uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. We'll have some good conversations. And um, yeah, if you've got any suggestions as well, I would love to hear them, whether it's a company you want to hear about or um, even just about the show. Let me know your thoughts and we'll talk soon. Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. 
You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.